Are you ready to take your business to the next level? Every day there are countless books and articles that are published offering the key on how to make your business a success. It's easy to feel overwhelmed trying to keep up and run your business. That's why Deb Creer created the Business Power Hour. Keep up on the latest trends, best practices, and techniques for how to make your business a success. Let the Business Power Hour do the heavy work for you. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And today we're going to be talking about something that, let's be honest, every small business owner and entrepreneur should at least consider to some degree, and that's what happens when they want to leave their business. And you know, and, and so we're gonna have a great conversation today with Michelle Seiler Tucker. So th- welcome to our program, Michelle. Thank you for having me, Deb. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Well, let me tell people a little bit about you and then we'll just jump into this. Sure. As a 20-year veteran in mergers and acquisitions, Michelle Seiler Tucker has sold hundreds of businesses, recognized as the leading authority on buying, selling, Fixing, we're going to talk about that a little bit, and growing businesses, Michelle sees opportunity where many are discouraged or have given up. Her passion is to save businesses that might otherwise close. She closes nearly 98% of all written offers and on average obtains 20 to 40% above the asking price for her clients. So again, Michelle, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Well, you know, I always like to to get in the way back machine. Um, tell us how it is that you got to where you are today and how you discovered that this is your passion in life. So I've, I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always um, was interested in business and mm-hmm. I've owned many, many, many different types of businesses. Uh, but I did end up getting stuck in corporate America, working for Xerox. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd only been working for Xerox for about six months and they nicknamed me the closer because every time a salesperson couldn't close a business, they would bring me in. Is it you? Uh-huh. Yep. Every time I would close the deal. So my manager came to me after I'd been there for six years and she's, I mean, six months. And she said, Michelle, I think you should interview for the regional management position overseeing the South Ooh. and overseeing 95 salespeople, 95 to 100 salespeople. And she says, you'll never get it, but you should interview for the experience. And I'm like, why would I interview for something I'm never going to get? Sounds like a colossal waste of time. And she says, no, it's not a waste of time because you're going to learn so much during the process Mm -hmm. and you will want to advance, you know, up the Xerox ladder. So this is a great stepping stone for you. It's a great training ground. So I said, okay. So I went ahead and threw my name in the hat and was interviewing with several other um, Xerox sales reps that had been there for years and years and years and years. And I had only been there for six months. And it was a really grueling, grueling process. It was three months of demonstrating high volume um, printers. It was doing presentations in front of executives. It was interviewing them. It was asking them questions. And it was them asking us questions, asking me questions. And it was a whole panel of, of, of you know, people that were interviewing us. And anyway, at the end of three months, I ended up getting it. Oh, 
And it was funny because I got it. Nobody thought I would. Mm -hmm. And all my friends at Xerox were now mad at me because I beat them and I'd only been there six months. (laughs) And so then I started, you know, um, I became a manager and was overseeing these, you know, 95 sales reps. And I stopped doing what I love. Mm -hmm. What I love is working with people. I love clients. I love helping solve their problems. You know, I help, I love coming up with solutions and I wasn't doing that anymore. In corporate America, you have a meeting to schedule a meeting to actually have a meeting. Right. And then you have another meeting to follow up on that meeting. And then you have another meeting to follow up. So it was just a constant, you know, cycle of meetings. And, you know, I'm like, how long do I want to do this? I really miss entrepreneurship. I miss being in sales, but I didn't want to go backwards at Xerox, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I started I started looking for a franchise to buy, mm-hmm. and I stumbled across this company that had two locations. My husband actually knew, knew them. And so I met with them and said, look, I want to buy a franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to keep my job at Xerox, making six figures with great benefits, mm-hmm. and um, just have somebody operate it. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, Michelle, we know of you. We know of your reputation. We know you're the closer. We actually want you to become a partner with us. And then if you partner with us, we'll give you a franchise. Mm -hmm. So I said, listen, I appreciate the opportunity, Mm -hmm. but I'm not comfortable leaving a six-figure position with great benefits for a company that has two franchises. You're not successful. Mm -hmm. And I said, we know we're not successful. We need you. (laughs) So I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll do it for six months. We'll see how it goes. Mm -hmm. And I said, but I'm going to keep my job. Mm-hmm. So I'll fly to, you know, I'll fly to places on the weekends, even work evenings and weekends and keep my day job. And I did that. So I flew to Georgia. I flew to Atlanta. So mm-hmm. many franchises in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Went to Atlanta, Texas, um, um, Arizona, Mississippi, Louisiana was pretty much the territories that I focused on. Mm-hmm. And I made more money in those six months than I did an entire year at Xerox. Ooh. That's nice. So I went ahead and put my notice in with Xerox mm-hmm. and left. And I was actually an, a partner with this company. And then they did what most business owners do. They focus on market, 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 grow, 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 grow. But they never build a solid foundation right. to handle the growth. Mm-hmm. So they started to crash and burn. And they were over-promising and under-delivering. And I do just the opposite. I over, mm-hmm. I, I underpromise and overdeliver. And these franchisees are my friends. You know, I was, I was in the right. weddings. I would go to the weddings. I would go to the hospital when they had their babies. I would stay at their house mm-hmm. when I went into town. Mm-hmm. Well, it got to become a very volatile relationship between right. the franchisor and the franchisee. Mm-hmm. And now I'm stuck in the middle. Mm-hmm. And I kept taking it up for the franchisee. And they're like, you're our partner. You need to take a place. Right. I'm yeah. like, no, no, we're, no. We're the boss. Yeah. <laughs> we're the boss. You got to take up for us. I said, no, I'm taking up for the client because we sold them a bill of goods and we need to deliver, period. Right. And so it was a constant battle. And I said, look, obviously, we don't see eye to eye. Obviously, our values are not aligned. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I have ethics and you have none. So <laughs> there went the friendship. <laughs> Yeah. So I said, you need to buy me out. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so I ended up, um, you know, they didn't want to buy me out. So of mm-hmm. course I had to get legal involved, but anyway, they ended up buying me out mm-hmm. and I transitioned into selling businesses mm-hmm. because I was selling franchises. So I thought, well, what's an easy right. transition mm-hmm. selling mm-hmm. businesses? It can't be that much harder. Mm-hmm. Right. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> 
Selling businesses is a lot more difficult than selling mm-hmm. franchises. There's a lot more moving parts. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I transitioned to selling small businesses at first, and I transitioned into selling large companies. Typically, mm-hmm. ten, our purchase price mm-hmm. is $10 million and up. Mm-hmm. And then I really transitioned into fixing them and growing them mm-hmm. and um, helping my business owners, my clients, with a build-to-sell program. Mm-hmm. Because I learned very quickly, as Steve Forbes says, eight out of 10 businesses will not sell for a multitude of reasons. Mm -hmm. So if I don't fix them and Mm -hmm. grow them, I can't sell them. (laughs) So that's why I specialize in buying, fixing, growing, selling. I do buy businesses and flip them. I also partner with other business owners and um, invest my money, my time, energy, effort, expertise, core competencies, and help them build their business so it's actually sellable. Right. I love it. That's my background. (laughs) I love it. I love it. You know, and it's it's interesting because, you know, we'll, we'll talk about pre-pandemic and, and during pandemic and maybe sure. post-pandemic because, you know, a lot of businesses, I mean, things changed. But you've written a great new book, um, A Whole yes. Step, You Have to Be Vanna. Um, it's called <laughs> Exit Rich, uh, the, the 6P Method to Sell Your Business for Huge Profit. And as we record this, you have to pre-order it. Um, it's, it's actually not out until January of 2021. But, you know, I, was, I read a, a pre-copy last night. And it's, the, the thing that, that really struck me is, of course, your core principle of when you start a business, be planning how you're going to exit that business. And so when I was reading it, what I was thinking is, even if you don't plan to sell for whatever reason, you know, it's just every principle that you talk about in the book is the way you should be doing business. Right. Um, you know, and 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 that was really the thing that that struck me about it was, you know, you you don't have to to be reading it thinking, oh, okay, um, on X date, you know, or when I reach X age or, or whatever, you know, I'm I'm going to sell my business. I mean, it's just good core business philosophy because, of course, the the entire concept is that when you have a good sound business that has been that way for many years you will sell at a really good price. And, um, you know, and, and so that was, that was, you know, I really did. I enjoyed the book because it was something where I was thinking, well, people should be doing this all the time. Of course, the problem is they're not, which right. is why you have to go in and fix things. Um, so, you know, what are some of the, the big things that you see people making mistakes doing? Yeah. So there's a lot of mistakes. And, and the first mistake is business owners don't plan their exit. That's number one. Mm -hmm. And the business landscape has changed dramatically, Mm -hmm. even before COVID. When I wrote my first book, Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth in 2013, I did the research and learned very quickly that 85 to 95% of startups would go out of business. So one to five years, you're Mm -hmm. at risk for going out of business. Mm -hmm. That's common knowledge, right? Right. However, when I wrote Exit Rich in 2019 and did the same research, I learned that the business landscape had changed dramatically. In fact, it changed so much, I didn't believe the research. (laughs) I had my team go back and check it over and over and over and over again. And I still have my team check it because it's just so unbelievable to me. So even before COVID, the landscape has changed. So now it's only 30% of startups will go out of business. Mm -hmm. Only 30%. So those startups, those those individuals, those entrepreneurs are like, I want to start a business. I used to say, no, don't start a business. Now I'm like, okay, start a business. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, 30% 
will go out of business. However, out of 27.6 million companies, Mm -hmm. business owners have been in business 10 years or longer, 70% of those business owners are at risk for going out of business. Mm. 70%. That's a big number. That's a huge number because there's only 30.2 million businesses in the United States, 30.2 million. And now those 30.2 million, they employ over half the U.S. workforce. Small business is the backbone of our economy. If you lose small business, we lose jobs. We lose jobs, we lose spending power, and it's a trickle-down effect. People Mm -hmm. can't afford to go out to eat, so restaurants close. People can't afford to shop, so businesses close, so retail closes. Mm -hmm. You know, discretional um, spending is done. Okay. Mm-hmm. So small business is huge. So if you think about it, 27.6 million businesses, 70% of those are going out of business. That is very scary. Right. Now you hear about the public stores all the time. The public businesses like mm-hmm. Toys R Us went out of business. Right. Kmart, Steinmart, Pier One mm-hmm. went out of business. GNC is closing down 900 locations. Even mm-hmm. Starbucks is in trouble. Mm-hmm. But what you're not hearing about are the private companies. Right. On a little mom corner. and pop type of place. Yeah, not even mm-hmm. little mom and pop. I mean, you might have a $10 million company right. that's doing, grossing $10 million in revenue and they're going out of business. So it's not all just mom and pop, right. but it's private companies. Mm-hmm. So these private companies on every street corner and every, mm-hmm. every town and every state across our great nation are dropping like flies. Right. And the problem is most of these business owners are faced with having to sell for pennies on a dollar, mm-hmm. close their business down, or even worse, file bankruptcy. Right. And the problem with banks bankruptcy is when you file bankruptcy, most business owners don't just lose business assets, they lose their personal assets right. too. Right. Because most because they didn't set owners, things up right. They may mm-hmm. well they set things up right, they do, but here's the mistake they make. Mm. They take out a personal guarantee. Ah, uh, yep. Or they mm-hmm. take they mortgage your home. Right. They do a, a home home a HELOC or you know something. Right. They, they take right. a mortgage out against mm-hmm. their home mm-hmm. to support their business. Especially if things got tight. You know, they started yeah. using their personal credit cards, all of those various things. Mm-hmm. And you just pierce the corporate veil. Mm-hmm. So when you do that, they can go after your personal assets. Right. And they don't care. <laughs> yeah. So that's a big mistake. Not planning your exit um, and piercing that corporate veil. The other reason that business owners are going out of business, well, the main mistake is that business owners become complacent. Mm -hmm. They stop innovating. I call it AIM. Always innovate and market. Always Mm -hmm. innovate and market. They Mm -hmm. stop innovating Mm -hmm. and they stop marketing. And let me tell you something. If you've been in business 10, 15, 20, 25 years, you can't do business the way you've always done it. Right. Because the consumer is going to get you. (laughs) The consumer buying habits have changed, and you can thank Amazon for that. (laughs) Consumers do not buy products and services the same way they used to buy products and services. And Amazon is the, the, the main reason that we have changed our buying habits. But online technology, um, has changed our buying habits, but Amazon's made it very easy to practically order anything and have it shipped to your house on Prime in two days. Mm-hmm. Now, I just ordered Christmas presents today. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, that's before COVID. After COVID, COVID also changed our buying habits. Right. Because, yes, you would order stuff online, but you would still go to the grocery store. You would still go to the meat market. You would still go Go to to the farmer's market. You would still do all that stuff, right? Go out to eat. Mm -hmm. However, now 
You don't even have to go to the grocery store right? because Amazon bought Whole Foods and Whole Foods will deliver groceries to you. Uh Walmart is doing the same thing now. So they're delivering groceries to you too. So if you are in business and you don't look at your clients and ask your clients, what do you need? What do you want? How can I make it easier for you to do business with our company? then you're going to end up going out of business. You have to innovate. Mm -hmm. And that's what business owners are not doing is innovating. And I'm whoever makes it easiest Mm -hmm. for the consumer to do is a company that's going to win. I don't know if it's so much that we're lazy. I think that people are busy. Maybe busy. They're busy, Mm -hmm. but they also like, you know what? I would rather go to the park with my kids than go grocery shopping. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of going to the mall and buying a wedding gift that's, that for mm-hmm. an upcoming wedding mm-hmm. that I have, I would rather take my daughter horseback riding. Right. You know, mm-hmm. so we would rather enjoy experiences. Kind of, and the millennials are that way too. Millennials are all about the experience. So business owners really have to innovate. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they have to adapt. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the, those are some of the biggest mistakes that business owners make. But the other big one that I talk about in Exit Rich is that businesses don't operate on all six cylinders. They mm-hmm. don't operate on all six P's. Right. So tell us what those six P's are. I will. I'm, and I'm going to go a little bit in depth on each P yes. mm-hmm. so that the audience understands right. them. Right. So the first P and the most important P is people. Mm-hmm. You don't build a business, you build people and people build the business. Mm-hmm. So people is number one. Mm-hmm. And you got to have the right people in the right seat. Mm-hmm. A lot of times business owners have the right people, mm-hmm. but they don't have them in the right position. Right. So the right people in the right seat. Mm-hmm. Then you have to ask yourself who, mm-hmm. who in my business opens the door, who mm-hmm. in my business um, deals with sales and marketing mm-hmm. and customer acquisition costs. Who in my business deals with manufacturing? Mm-hmm. Who in my business deals with distribution? Who in my business deals with logistics? Who in my business deals with customer service issues? Who deals with accounting? Who deals with the inter- environmental issues? Who deals with tax issues? Who deals with trade um, trademark infringement? Who, who, who? Mm-hmm. The secret, the clue is never put you next to the who. <laughs> right. Because right. you want your Down business to operate. Mm-hmm. You want your business to operate without you. Right. And the problem with most entrepreneurs is their name is next to all of the who's. Right. And entrepreneurs are wearing all these different hats and they're stuck working in the business and not on the business. Mm-hmm. Okay. So never put your name next to the who. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to have the right people in the right seats. And then you also got to have a management team in place uh, because you want to create a business that works for you. Mm-hmm. rather than you working for it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of business owners, and I don't want to insult anybody, but a lot of business owners have created a, a job mm-hmm. in which they go to every day versus right. a business that works for them. They're working for it. So you really should have a management team in place too, because buyers do not want to buy a job. Buyers want to buy a business that mm-hmm. works for them. Right. The second P, which we've already kind of talked about a little bit, which is very important, and this is why many businesses are going out of business is because of this P right here, product. Mm -hmm. So ask yourself, is your product thriving or dying? Mm -hmm. Is it on the way up or is it on the way out? Do Mm -hmm. you have an Amazon on your hands or do you have a Blockbuster? Right. And if you have a blockbuster, <laughs> you better get ready to pivot. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to align yourself with a mentor, an advisor, mm-hmm. somebody who can help you mm-hmm. see things differently. Because when you're stuck, 
when you're in your fog, it's foggy. And sometimes it's hard to see things that are right in front of you. Right. And I always tell business owners, ask, ask yourself this question. What business are you in? Mm-hmm. What are you really, really good at? Mm-hmm. What business should you be in? Mm-hmm. Okay. That is a transformational question mm-hmm. because business owners get stuck in the transactional mm-hmm. and they stop being transformational. Right. Right. So I'll give you a couple of examples of this. Amazon asked themselves, what business are we in? What business did Amazon used to be in? What business did they start in? Do you Originally, remember? it was selling books. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It was selling books. So they asked themselves, what business are we in? We sell books. Mm-hmm. What are we really, really, really good at? Customer said, service. Fulfillment. Fulfillment. That's, yeah. Mm-hmm. They said, we're great at fulfillment. What business should we be in? Mm-hmm. Oh, we shouldn't just be do, selling hey, books. Anything we that be, we can do fulfillment. <laughs> we should just sell anything that we can fulfill. Mm-hmm. And that one, those three questions mm-hmm. is what transformed Amazon to the multi-billion dollar conglomerate that it is today. I'll give you another right. example. Have you ever watched the movie, The Founder? No, I haven't. Okay. Great movie for all of your audience uh, members to, to watch. It's based <laughs> upon the McDonald's story. Oh, yes. The Croc story. Mm-hmm. The Croc. Well, McDonald's brothers who started right. McDonald's mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then the Croc story, Ray Croc, who came in and blew up McDonald's. Yeah, we always forget so, that Croc was not the founder. Correct. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks that Croc was the founder. He yeah. was not the founder. Yeah. So here he is in the bank mm-hmm. and he appears to his corporate veil. He took a loan out against his home mm-hmm. for the franchise and he wasn't making any money because the franchisees were not compliant and weren't paying the royalty. So he was trying to borrow more money and the banker said, I can't lend you any more money. You're already overextended. So he walks out of the bank. This gentleman that was sitting in a cubicle next to him follows him outside and says, hey, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to like eavesdrop, but mm-hmm. I heard your whole conversation. He says, and I think I can help you. He said, but I have a question for you. What business are you in? And Ray Kroc says, I'm in the restaurant business. Mm-hmm. He said, no, that's not the business you're in. What business are you in? He goes, I'm in the restaurant business. Right. I make burgers. <laughs> He's like, I don't have time for this. You know, I need money. Mm-hmm. And the gentleman said, what business should you be in? And Ray looked at him. He goes, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. He goes, you should be in the real estate business. Mm-hmm. You need to be buying up the ground. You need to be building the buildings. Mm-hmm. You need to be leasing them. You own it as a separate corporation. You lease it to the franchisees. When the franchisees are not compliant, then you get rid of their contract and you bring another franchisee in. Right. That one question alone is what changed Ray Kroc and McDonald's world forever. Mm-hmm. That one question. Mm-hmm. So McDonald's now, because of that, is the largest real estate holding company in the world. Right. McDonald's is not in the fast food business. They're in the real estate business. Mm-hmm. So that's what everybody should be asking themselves. Everybody, even if you have a successful business, mm-hmm. what business are we in? What are we really good at? What business should we be in? That's product. Right. Because you have to pivot, especially mm-hmm. with coronavirus now. Oh. You know, there are industries that were thriving that are now dying. There were industries that were dying that are now thriving. So you have to ask these trans- transformational questions and pivot. The third P, and this is a P that is always overlooked and never really thought of until um, something bad in the business happens, like mm-hmm. a catastrophic event happens. Mm-hmm. That's processes. Mm. The owners never really think about what should our process be. Right. <laughs> until so people know how we get from A to B to C to ship. 
<laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. But they never really think about it until a customer complains mm-hmm. or until maybe they had to have, you know, an injury that occurs mm-hmm. because there weren't safety processes put in place. Mm-hmm. So it's typically an unfortunate occurrence that happens to make the owner think about processes, but processes are one of the most important things in your company and it can make or break a business. Right. So processes should always be designed with the customer experience in mind. Mm-hmm. Let me give you one more example. So the same movie, the founder, I know you're going to watch this movie later. I know, I know. But the, not Ray Kroc now, this is the actual McDonald brothers. Mm-hmm. So when they started the company, I want to say it was in the forties, fifties. Mm-hmm. And back then it was always the drive-in restaurant, right. like a Sonic, mm-hmm. you know? And the problem with that back then is the order was always wrong. The food was always code mm-hmm. and it took forever. Right. So McDonald's, when they started McDonald's, the McDonald brothers, they said, let's do, this is our objective. This is our mission statement. We're going to create quality food that tastes great in two minutes or less. Mm-hmm. So then when they designed their process, they said, we want to design our process with the customer experience in mind. What do we want the customer to get? Great quality food, two minutes or less. Mm-hmm. So then they went out to an empty tennis court. I yeah, I remember seeing pictures and they laid it yeah. out. You know, right. Mm-hmm. Right. They took all their employees, mm-hmm. they laid it out, mm-hmm. and they kept changing it because it right. wasn't right. Mm-hmm. And they spent all day there mm-hmm. and they designed who takes the order. Who toasts the buns? Mm-hmm. Who cooks the burgers? Mm-hmm. Who puts the pickles? Two, was it three pickles on the bun? Right. Mm-hmm. Who packages it? Who gives it to the client? Mm-hmm. Making sure it's done two mm-hmm. minutes or less. Mm-hmm. They designed the, they designed their processes with the customer experience mm-hmm. in mind right. to make sure the customers got good quality tasting food two minutes or less. Business owners don't do that. No. Deb. Mm-hmm. They don't do that. And let me tell you something: you're going to have a lot less customer service issues. If you design the right. process with the customer experience in mind right. and your, your processes should be productive, effective, mm-hmm. efficient, mm-hmm. and most importantly, and here's where a lot of businesses mess up is they need to be documented. Right. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. Policy and procedure manuals. You need mm-hmm. SOP checklists, dinner mm-hmm. procedure checklists, and you need to make sure all your employees are trained right. on such. Right. Well, and one of the, the tricky things is, that it's not that that process is not Michelle's job, part A, you know, B, whatever it is, because that's what ends up happening with, with many companies is you've got an employee that, you know, she has done the widget for, you know, she's, she's done that same little thing forever and ever. And, and, but nobody knows how she does it. She just does it. So then she goes on vacation, she gets sick, she quits and your process comes to a screeching halt. Um, you know, and, and so, and, and of course that's, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky when you're dealing with your employees because some of them, you know, they're very protective of their jobs, which they should be, you know, so they don't want you to know how it is that they do every single little detail, but you still need to do that. Um, you know, I, I worked for a while, uh, doing crisis management planning for companies. And one of the things we said was, you know, processes were, were the big things because yep. that really is one of the first things that you have to deal with, especially if, say, you have to relocate. You know, how can you replicate that business? And, you know, and, and so it wasn't that, you know, X person did this. It was what was this that was being done, um, right. you know, and, and when we would find a, a situation where it was so person specific, we knew we had a problem. Um, you know, and, and many times that might be a department of one 
that, you know, maybe it was something had to pass through legal and you only had one attorney. Okay, well, you know, that attorney better have a backup or, as you said, have things written down so that somebody else can step in. So process really is is very important. And, and um, you know, we that's it, all of these are, are very important. Um, but, yeah, processes, that really is something that I think so many people forget. They do. And like I said, they don't think about it until a catastrophe happens. <laughs> They're like, oh, we need a process for this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we would ask people, okay, if, you know, Bob were all of a sudden not able to come to work, what would happen? Yeah. And most of the time people went, we didn't know because we're not even quite sure what Bob does. And that was the really wrong answer. <laughs> you know? But but yeah, I mean, there were so many times where people just didn't realize that, you know, what it was that was being done and what was so critical. And and sometimes it really was that if, you know, if, if X didn't get done, maybe by a certain day, every month, like a report filed, the company would stop. Uh, you know, yeah. the, the whole company would stop. And, and um, you know, and, and but yeah, I mean, it's when you know your, your processes, you know, say you have somebody complaining about customer service, you know, back to, to McDonald's, it, you know, the, 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 the hamburgers were cold. Okay, where in that process were the yeah. burgers getting cold? You know, maybe it was at the final thing where somebody handed the bag out to somebody and it had sat there for five minutes. That's mm-hmm. the, the the problem. Yeah, and that's why, and then, you know, then you're going to have a poor customer experience. And back in the 40s, nobody put it on the internet. Right. I know, <laughs> now like Facebook, Facebook, Instagram, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Everybody, yeah. And, you know, you've got to, and I can't, I can't stress this enough, that you have to you have to design your process with the customer experience in mind. Right. I'm gonna give you one mm-hmm. more example. So it's a small little um, studio, mm-hmm. and I don't want to say too much in in here in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And my daughter attends the classes, mm-hmm. and their process is when a hurricane hits or something mm-hmm. happens, they send out an email and go put on their private Facebook group. Ah, well, here's a problem with that process. Mm-hmm. When you have busy entrepreneurs that have children and they're not stay-at-home parents, they might not be checking email. I get over 500 emails a day. Uh My husband doesn't always check his email. And I promise you, I never go check your private Facebook group. Right. Uh So I suggested, why don't you tweak that process and Uh send out a text group to all the parents? Uh And the response was, well... This is our process. This is how we do things. This is the way we've that, always that's done it. That's mm-hmm. not in the plans this year. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, well, you know, I." she goes, they said, oh, it's not an option. And I said, oh, but it's an option to inconvenience your customers. Right. Because what happened was my nanny missed a math tutoring mm-hmm. to get that class mm-hmm. when that class got canceled at four o'clock in the afternoon for a five thirty class. Mm-hmm. And Oh, by the way, you're supposed to go check the Facebook group mm-hmm. or in your email. Right. So she, so I said, so it's an option to inconvenience your client mm-hmm. clients. And I said, look, I got an IT guy that could do this for you. And two, she goes, we are way too big for that. I said, schools do it. And they have thousands. Right. Upon thousands Universities do it. <laughs> Universities do it. She goes, where are you? She goes, and I said, look, if you, I have an IT guy that could do it for you in a matter of minutes, I'll offer his service and I'll pay for it. You know what she said? We're still too busy. It's not that we don't know how to do it. We just are not going to this year. Ah, mm-hmm. 
I said, oh, well, maybe okay. I'm not going to continue my child. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to find somebody else. So your processes are so inconsiderate mm-hmm. and designed to piss off the client. Right. <laughs> not ensure client satisfaction, but to aggravate your client. So, and then people wonder why they go out of business. So right. processes are huge. And you did make a very good point. There are a lot of companies have one person, like I own a graphics company. We have one person doing collections. Mm-hmm. And if we lose that one person, we're in big trouble, right? right. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing is we, we, uh, we have an integrator that's going around to each department and making sure that that one person writes down in a PP manual, everything they do. And then mm-hmm. I integrate, it goes back and make sure it sounds good. Mm-hmm. Make sure it's language correctly right. mm-hmm. and everything else. But you got to have those PPs, those policy and procedure manuals and SOPs, even if you have one right. person, because that one person could leave mm-hmm. and then you're in big trouble. Right. Well, and, you know, or all of a sudden, everybody has to work from home. All of a sudden, everybody has to work from home. You have no policies and procedure yeah. manual. And, and, yeah, when when you can't just walk out and touch somebody on the shoulder and say, tell me what you're doing today. Right. You know, that's the, or, or, yeah, I mean, and I think that probably has been a big problem for many companies is things just got done. Right. And they don't know how they got done, you know, and, right. and now that they can't see everybody, they're having to figure out how, how in the heck did things get done? Right. Exactly. So processes. So number four P <laughs> is proprietary mm. and proprietary is the highest value driver, meaning right. that you'll get a higher value of a higher uh, multiple mm-hmm. if you have proprietary. Mm-hmm. So there's six pillar pillars to proprietary. Number one is branding. Mm-hmm. The more well-branded your business are, the more money you're going to get for your company, as long as your brand is still relevant in the mind of the consumer. Mm -hmm. Toys R Us brand is not worth as much as it used Mm -hmm. to be. Right. Because people are like, I'm going to order online. (laughs) Right. So the the most valuable brand in the world is, what do you think? Coca-Cola. I'm I'm in Atlanta. (laughs) I thought it was Coca-Cola too, but it's not. Coca-Cola brand is worth about $89 billion. Mm And that's without assets, cash flow, EBITDA, real estate, or inventory, anything. No, it's Apple. Apple, okay. Apple brand is worth over, probably pretty up there. Mm-hmm. Apple is worth over $389 billion. Wow. And that's without mm-hmm. anything. That's without right. you um, see cash that flow, Apple inventory. The logo, and you right. know that's right. Apple. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Apple's number one. So build your brand, and then you'll build your exit and you'll be able to exit rich. Mm-hmm. Number two, a big mistake that business owners make mm-hmm. is when they start their business, they don't get a federal trademark. They get a local trademark on their company. Mm-hmm. Years will go by and all of a sudden, boom, you're hit with a cease and desist letter. Right. And guess what? You might've had that company for 15 years. Mm-hmm. This other company just got a federal trademark a mm-hmm. year ago, sends you a cease and desist letter and most business owners are going to try to fight it. They're going to spend thousands upon thousands of dollars and they're going to lose. Right. And mm-hmm. then they're going to have to change the name of their business, right. which costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. So go out there and spend the $1,500 and get a federal trademark. Right. Yeah. I recently yeah. did that with the name of this program um, yeah. and exact same thing. I had a, a local trademark in the state where we're incorporated. 
And, you know, and, and because I thought, you know, who's, it's, who's going to care. And, but, and I did get a cease and desist that didn't pertain in any way. I mean, it was, it, it, I didn't, you know, I just, I spent five minutes on Google and figured out how to tell this guy go away. Um, But that did make me think, oh, because, you know, and, and so I did, I spent the money and it was, it was not inexpensive, but it was far worth it. Um, what to, was it? Fifteen hundred, seventeen hundred. It was somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and but you know, and part of that was simply because I could not do it myself. I mean, I started the process, and then I got the letter back from the trademark people and went, "Oh, I don't know how to do this." Um, and so, you know, we we did that. But what I realized during this process was, if someone else trademarked the name, and and then they and, and they came after me. I would have to go back through all six hundred programs, and remove all references to the Business Power Hour. Yeah. Um, you know, and 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 so yeah. I mean, it would have just been. No, we're just not going to do this. Um, you know, yeah. And, it's not worth it. Right. It's not worth it. And everybody should do that. Like even before you go get a domain name, you really should check to make sure the federal trademark right. is available. Yeah. yeah. And and then you should also trademark. Like, you know, not just companies, but, mm-hmm. but podcasts, like I have exit rich podcasts. I have right. exit rich book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, Anything get a, I am getting value. Yeah. I am getting a federal trademark on exit rich. Mm-hmm. I also got a federal trademark on the solar Tucker, the ST GPS exit model mm-hmm. and how you should exit your business right. and also the ST six P's. Mm-hmm. So anything that has value, mm-hmm. go spend the money right. and get it trademarked. Otherwise you're going to find yourself in a situation where you might not be able to use it. Right. Um, and then, so that's very important. Also, patents are a huge value drivers. We once sold a company for um, $18 million that had 18 patents. Mm-hmm. So if you have something unique, I mean, you hear about Shark Tank, right? Mm-hmm. Every time, every time the investor asks the same question, do you have a patent on this? Do you have a patent on this? Do you have a patent on this? So go get a patent. Right. The other valuable thing in IP are, are contracts. Mm. Contracts are huge. Mm-hmm. So vendor contracts, manufacturing right. contracts, distributor contracts, right. exclusive contracts. The most valuable of all contracts are client contracts. Mm-hmm. If you have client agreements or MSAs, master service agreements, those are really, really, really valuable. And buyers will pay more money for that because right. they know that this business is sustainable because mm-hmm. it has recurring mm-hmm. revenue coming right. in. And those contracts transfer progress. when the business is sold. Because well, bingo, bingo, so bingo, bingo. Mm-hmm. bingo. Yeah. You're still in my thunder. Because <laughs> the number one mistake that business owners make is that they do not have that transferability language. Right. 99.9% of all business owners do not have it. Mm-hmm. And 99.9% of all sales are asset sales, not stock sales. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have the two sentences in there, then your deal could stop dead in its tracks and not close. Mm-hmm. So go and get that two sentence transferability clause and stick it in your contracts. We're selling a $70 million company right now. They have 150 contracts. Only two of them are transferable. Why only two? Because I just, I gave them the language and I started inserting it. And so it's the most recent two. Correct. It's the most recent two. So you got to make sure they're transferable. Mm -hmm. And then the other valuable thing in in, um, IP are databases. And these are typically overlooked and undervalued. Mm -hmm. If you have a database that's, that's really large and it's pretty active mm-hmm. and it can be repurposed or retargeted, mm-hmm. then it's worth a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp mm-hmm. and WhatsApp was hemorrhaging money. Mm-hmm. Not, not just, 
not making a profit, hemorrhaging. Mm -hmm. But WhatsApp had a billion users and Facebook knew they could ROI. They mm -hmm. knew they could monetize those billion users. So databases are very, very, very um, profitable and they're a huge value driver. Right. The other big thing is we call, I call it business real estate, not commercial buildings or land. Mm -hmm. But this is called business real estate. Mm -hmm. So let's say that you have a skincare line mm -hmm. and you have celebrity endorsements. Mm -hmm. Like let's say Rush Limbaugh or Glenn Beck or the Kid Craddock Show or or let's say Oprah Winfrey. She mm -hmm. has it in her 100 things, her 100 favorite things mm -hmm. or her most favorite things. You cannot pay for that. That is like huge, huge, huge real estate. Mm -hmm. And they can only endorse one skincare company. Mm -hmm. So that's really valuable. So any type of synergistic buyer is going to be willing to pay a lot of money for that. And then um, let's say that you make, let's say that you make pillows. Mm -hmm. And you're number one on Wayfair. Mm -hmm. That's prime real estate that you right. cannot pay for. Mm -hmm. Same thing with Amazon. Let's say that you have a unique vacuum and it's a robot. It's a robotic vacuum, right. and, and it comes up patent. first in every search. Mm -hmm. Correct. And, and 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 you pretty much have cornered Amazon. That's huge real estate. So. Mm -hmm. These are all value drivers mm -hmm. that will get companies because I business owners like Michelle, how do I get a 10 X? Mm -hmm. That's how you get a 10 X by creating that mm -hmm. kind of um, IP and that kind of proprietary stuff like your, your agreements and right. your patents and all that. Then the fifth P is patrons mm -hmm. and this is customer base. Right. And you really need customer diversification, not mm -hmm. customer concentration. So look at, does your business follow the golden rule where 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your clients? Mm -hmm. If it does, you're in big trouble because if 80% of your revenue comes from a few clients and you lose one or two clients, you could be practically out right. of business. So mm -hmm. you always want to make sure you have customer diversification. Also, you need to ask your clients, what do you need? What do you want? How can I make it easier for you to do business with me? Because- right. Clients' shopping patterns have changed. Mm -hmm. Their wants, their needs have changed. Mm -hmm. Whoever makes it easiest for them to do business with is the one that's going to win mm -hmm. their business. Mm -hmm. And then if you're a business that's been in business for 20, 30, 40 years, your customers might be aging out. Right. Yeah. Are you so replacing them? Mm -hmm. You got to replace them. And guess what? Millennials don't care about what baby boomers care about. Mm -hmm. So the way millennials buy things are not the same way that baby boomers buy mm -hmm. things. So you really got to constantly be reinventing yourself and asking these customer service questions mm -hmm. and conducting these customer service um, surveys. Mm -hmm. So you really get a better handle on what the consumer wants mm -hmm. so you can provide it to them. Um, and then the last P, uh, the six P, last mm -hmm. but not least, probably one of the most important as well is profit. Mm -hmm. So profit's huge, right? Mm -hmm. And so everybody says, always ask me, Michelle, why do you why do you say profit last? Here's why I say profit last. If you don't do all those other things, right. you're not going to have. You're not going to have profit, the six you know. P. Yeah, there's there's no profit if you know. You're not going to have mean, the six P. Yeah, and and it's funny because people think, well, duh, uh, you know, and and you know, I have to have customers. I have to have product, but they, you, they, they don't think about them in the right way. They don't. And I always say profits are never the problem because clients come to me and say, Michelle, you know, I'm not making any money. I don't know what the problem is. Mm -hmm. Well, there's your first problem right there. Mm -hmm. Thinking profits are the problem. 
Right. Hoppets are not the problem. Yeah, somewhere there's symptom. something broken. Mm-hmm. Right. They're a symptom mm-hmm. of not having the right employees in the right seat or you being all the who's <laughs> or not having the right product. Your product is failing, you know, not dying, not thriving or not having the right processes in place. I mean, processes, if they're not efficient and productive, they can cause you to lose money. If they're not designed with the customer experience in mind, like that day, that, like that studio I was telling you about with my daughter, mm-hmm. you're going to lose clients, which right. means you're going to lose money. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't protected IP, then you're going to be spending money and then maybe having to spend even more money if you have to change your company name. Right. So, and if your co- clients are not diversified, and if you have customer concentration, you're going to lose profits. So profits is never the problem. It's always a symptom of not operating mm-hmm. on one of the five Ps. I love it. You know, and as I said at the start, you know, th- th- these are all in your book, mm-hmm. but, you know, and, and obviously with the goal of eventually selling your business, but we should be doing these all the time. You know, we should be doing these all the time. And just, you know, just let's talk a little bit about the STGPS exit model because we didn't talk about that. You know, buyers, and you said this at the beginning of your show, business owners should always plan their exit from day one of starting or buying a business. Right. They never do that. Mm -hmm. And I always, I always think it's, 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 it's puzzling to me because do you have children? No. Okay. So I have, I have a daughter Mm -hmm. and I know other parents. Mm -hmm. We plan out their entire life. We plan where they're going to go to elementary school. Oh yes. Where where they're going to go preschool, elementary school, middle grade school, high school, college. And then every tiny detail in between. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then we like to plan who they're going to marry. <laughs> we like to plan how many grandkids right. they're going to give us. How many grandkids? So we'll plan out our children's lives, but we won't plan for our most valuable asset, which is our business. Right. And so what business owners need to do from day one of starting or buying a business, they need to follow the GPS exit. Mm-hmm. And the GPS exit, the Solid Tucker GPS exit, and it's basically this. Start your business with your end game in mind. Mm-hmm. Determine what you want to sell your business for. If you say, I want to sell my business for $10 million. Mm All right. I want to sell my business for $10 million. Mm -hmm. That's my destination. Mm -hmm. A GPS, you always need to know destination. How are you going to get there? Right. Mm -hmm. So you plug in your destination. Mm -hmm. The GPS knows where you're starting from. It knows your current location. Mm -hmm. So with the GPS exit model to exit your business, know your destination, $10 million, Know where you're starting from, mm-hmm. what your current valuation is. Mm-hmm. Now, most most people will get a health checkup once a year. Mm-hmm. They'll get their car checked up once mm-hmm. a year. They never get their business checkup. Right. They never know what their business is worth. Mm-hmm. You have to know where you're starting from. <laughs> so if you want to sell for $10 million, and let's say you're at $3 million, mm-hmm. then you need to determine time frame. Mm-hmm. So let's say your time frame is in five years. You're at $3 million, You want to sell for $10 million in five years. Now you need to determine who your buyers are going to be. There's five different types of buyers. Mm-hmm. So let's say, let's say that you have a healthcare staffing business mm-hmm. and you want to sell for $10 million. Mm-hmm. Well, you can rule out first-time buyers because most first-time buyers are not going to afford a right, $10 million. That's, that's way too complicated. Mm-hmm. Correct. But a private equity group, a PEG, could afford it and mm-hmm. pegs by based on platforms or add-ons. Mm-hmm. So if they're gonna if they're gonna get into the healthcare space mm-hmm. staffing and they're not in it now, mm-hmm. you better have a three million dollar EBITDA. Mm-hmm. So you're not you don't need to just know who your buyers are, but mm-hmm. you need to know what your buyer's criteria is. So 
there's private equity groups and there's strategics and competitors. Mm-hmm. Okay. So strategics and competitors, if they're already in that space or if they have similar, you know, let's say they have med- medical transcriptionists, but they mm-hmm. really want to get into medical staffing. Mm-hmm. Well, then they're, they're probably willing to maybe outbid other mm-hmm. uh, buyers for that particular business. Mm-hmm. But you need to know what's their gross revenues requirement? What's their cost of goods sold mm-hmm. requirement? What's their EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization requirement? Mm-hmm. You need to know all of those details. Mm-hmm. So first-time buyers, private equity buyers, strategic slash competitors. Then you have sophisticated mm-hmm. serial entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. They'll buy you. Mm-hmm. But again, you need to know what their buying criteria is. Mm-hmm. And then last type of buyers, turnaround specialists, they're mm-hmm. not going to buy you. If you're a $10 million company, your EBITDA is probably around $2 million, mm-hmm. they're not going to buy you. Right. So know who your buyers are, mm-hmm. know what their buying criteria is, what mm-hmm. synergies they're willing to pay more for, then most importantly, know your why. Mm-hmm. Because nobody does anything without a powerful why. Right. <laughs> And if it was easy to sell a $10 million company, everybody would be doing it. Mm-hmm. So it's not. And you're going to have all kinds of catastrophic events occur. You know, you're going to have different financial uh, storms that occur. So in order to keep your financial boat afloat, you better have a powerful why. Mm-hmm. And that's the STGPS exit model to get you from point A to point B. Right. You know, and again, even if you don't plan to sell your business, you should have all of this in mind. You know, you start your business. What is your goal to be worth in five years, in 10 years? Um, You know, because that is, that would be what it would also sell for. So, you know, if you want to be a six-figure company, how are you going to get there? Um, You know, and and all of those various things, because that really is, you know, I, there, there are obviously lots of businesses. Like I would be a good example. My business is me. Nobody's going to want to buy it because it, the the product, the yeah. service is me. You don't but, have people, so. right? Right? Yeah. You know, and and so you know, it's. But I still should have those goals. I should be doing all of those things. Um, you know, and and all along. And, and it's funny because with people, I always think about. You know, it doesn't have to be an employee. Nope. You know, it's, it's the other things. Like I have a producer for this program. I have an attorney. I have a CPA. I have all of those various things, you know, that, that we have because we shouldn't be, as you said, we shouldn't be wearing those hats ourselves. Um, you know, what is my product? That has been one of the most fascinating things, I think, with the pandemic is watching the companies that pivot, you yeah. know, that, that used to do this and then do that. Um, yeah. Restaurants, I think, would probably be one of the the biggest examples of that is, you know, people can't go into your restaurant any longer or, you know, they're at least limited. I don't think anybody is back to 100 percent in the United States. I don't think you can, you know, it it could be that in like Wyoming, um, you you can have, you know, you can be back up to 100 percent capacity. But yeah, in most restaurants, you are very limited. So did you pivot to do takeout, to do delivery. Um, There's a a restaurant here by us that's a a Mexican restaurant and they built drive-through. They built a big drive-through thing. Now, clearly it's much more, I'm I'm assuming, I haven't been through it. I'm assuming it is a much more limited menu than what they offer inside because it's one of those restaurants that has, you know, a 20 page menu and -hmm. you can't do that in a drive-through. I mean, you just, you you couldn't do that, but, but they put in a drive-through and that there's a line. Every time I go by, there is a line. Um, yeah. you know, and, and well, I will tell you, we have a Popeye's. Mm-hmm. 
Oh yeah. On the way home every day. And I'm telling you, the line is yeah. out to the street. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The street and they're gonna cause a wreck. Right. Well, and you know, down yeah. down here, of course, one of the biggest things to, to see is how Chick-fil-A is doing yeah. it. Oh, um, you know, I've been to Chick-fil-A's where there are five lines in the drive-thru and man, they just whiz you through there. Plus you can drive all the way around and do curbside pickup. Um, you know, I mean, they figured that out quickly. Uh, how they did, did in our processes. I probably had to take right. their processes too. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and of course the key was that they had it down pretty good to start with. Right. So then it was, how do we expand it? Right. Um, you know, and, and so there's, there's those, but, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it, these are just things that you need to be doing no matter what, um, you know, and, and so that was, was, like I said, that was what I, I loved about reading your book, but, you know, the, the other very important thing that you talk about in the book and, and, you know, and, and the other things that you do is the fact that, you know, we might actually, you know, we might've started our business with the goal that at some point we're going to sell it. Never, ever, or almost never, ever try and do this yourself. I mean, there's just so many moving pieces and, and things like that. And, and that's one of the things that you talk about in your book is you should work <coughs> with a company like yours. You know, there's questions in your book. You know, here are the things you go through to, to ask these folks because they can't just say, oh, I want to do this today. You know, <laughs> you know they, they need to be experts in it. But, you know, that's where it's, it's definitely going to pay off, too. So tell us a little bit more about what it is exactly that, that you do for businesses. Sure. So I'm I'm not your typical M&A advisor. I'm a merchants and acquisitions master intermediary, senior business analyst, and a bunch of other stuff. <laughs> but I'm not your typical M&A advisor. You have advisor more letters because... after your your than I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm just I'm not your typical M&A advisor because first of all, I'm own I own companies and at any given time I own 5 to 10 businesses that I built to sell. Mm-hmm. So I'm not your typical advisor. Mm-hmm. I really get to know my clients and I really get to figure out you know, and help them figure out what their seller sanity check is. Right. Is this the best time for them to sell? Is this not the best time for them to sell? What money do they need? Mm-hmm. Because it's not about what I sell your business for. It's about what you walk away right. with and will it right. afford your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So I help them determine how much money do they need, mm-hmm. you know, and, and for how long. So, right. you know, do they need $500,000 a year? So what do they need monthly? What do they need annually? And then I, I kind of narrow it down to find out what are your priorities? Mm-hmm. Like what's most important to you? Is it the money? Is it somebody that takes care of your employees? Is it somebody that's taking care of your clients? Is it somebody that carries your legacy, you know, and grows your legacy beyond what you grew it? Mm-hmm. What's the most important thing to you? Mm-hmm. And then I help them plan their beginning mm-hmm. because if I don't help clients plan their beginning right. or next, mm-hmm. they'll never exit. They'll find a way to self-sabotage mm-hmm. and they'll kill the deal every time. So I really go through this process with them. And in some cases, I'll tell a client, your business is not sellable. I mean, I did that with a graphics company. Um, They called me, the owner called me, really, really wonderful, wonderful man. Had about a 20-minute conversation with him. And he said, Michelle, I just can't do this anymore. It's me, my wife, and we have one employee. Mm -hmm. We're working out of a garage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my wife and I are about to kill each other. We're probably going to get a divorce. We're working 14 hours a day. And he goes, I don't have the business acumen to grow this company to the next level. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? The business is not sellable. If I right. took them out of the business, mm-hmm. then there is no business. Mm-hmm. 
So then he says to me, but you know, I love the business and we're turning down 6,000 clients a year that we can't get to. Mm-hmm. And I went ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. There's a process that's wrong yeah. here. <laughs> well, there's, well, you have a people problem because they had no right. people. Obviously, didn't have Obviously you had a process problem. They had a great product. They had a process problem. So I said, look, we're not going to sell your business. If you would have got any other broker, you'd be in big trouble because they would have put your business on the market and it would have never sold. And they told the one employee that they were selling or closing her door. So that one employee went and got another job. Right. Because she thought she was going to lose her job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so anyway, I said, um, he said, well, what are are you going to do? And I said, let me do my due diligence on you, but we're going to partner. Right. And so I put up money. I took them out of the garage, put them in a 6,000 square foot space, mm-hmm. hired employees, hired a COO, mm-hmm. leased new vehicles, new equipment. Now they have a business, not a job, and now they're doing millions. Right. And our exit plan is to sell, you know, for 15, 15 to 20 million. Right. So that's what I do differently than anybody else. Mm-hmm. I'm an entrepreneur. I know what it's like to run a business. I know what it's like to have to pay the bills. I know what it's like to build a company to run on all six cylinders. You know, I've been there, done it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes me so unique more so than anybody else. Right, right. Yeah, because with with brokers, and, and I'll be honest, I've interviewed several on the program. It's, it is a transaction for them. You know, yeah. they're, they're that middleman who matches the buyer and the seller. And, you know, and, and that's what they do. Now, clearly they want a good business because they want to sell it for, for you know, because if it's not sellable, they're not going to make anything. But- but they don't know how to fix it. They don't know how to grow it. They don't know about the six Ps. They don't know any of that stuff. And, you know, my clients look at me as not only their M&A advisor, their intermediary, but as their problem solver on everything. I had a client, a client call me the other day whose business we're selling in the 50 to 60 million range. And she said, Michelle, she calls me at 6 a.m. on a Saturday. She goes, I got a problem. One of my employees tested and, and they're all oh, in the house together mm-hmm. and one of them tested positive. What do I do? I'm going to put a mask on and, and take him to urgent care. I said, no, no, you're not. Call yeah. 911 and have the ambulance pick him up. Yeah. Where yeah. do I get to test? Where do I get tests? I said, I got a resource and I sent her my resource. So we were, I'm really more of their problem solver. Right. And I am just their intermediary. Right. I think that's the big difference. And, and that's obviously why then the businesses sell for more, um, right. you know, because you fix the problems. I mean, you know, somebody else might go in and go, okay, well, we can sell this business for 5 million. It sells for 5 million. When you fix the problems, it sells for 20 million. And oh, the other reason we why I would <laughs> sell for 20 to 40% more on average is because we also have the largest da- uh, data buyer base. Right. You've got one of those databases. Mm. Yeah, we have like over 28,000 buyers. And so what we know how to create a bidding war mm-hmm. and we know what buyers are going to pay what for synergies. Right. Mm-hmm. So we know how to put a value on those synergies and we know how to bring those certain buyers to the table to create a bidding war. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times without even fixing the business, we can get our clients more because we're selling those patents or because we're selling that BP contract that that other buyer wants. You know, we find the synergies in that business that other buyers are willing to pay top dollar for. Right. I love it. Well, oh my gosh, Michelle, we are at the top of the hour. And we didn't even talk about the one thing that I really, really wanted to talk about was there's this pandemic going on. And is it a good or a bad time to be doing all of this? Well, you can so, have me back on. Yeah, I was going to um, say, that just means we need to do this again. 
Can we tell people how to get our book? Most definitely. So okay, tell people about the book and then how sure. they find you if they want to work with you. Sure. So go to exitrichbook.com, exitrichbook.com for $24.79. You can purchase a book, which includes shipping. Mm -hmm. If you buy it on Amazon or Hudson or Books a Million or anywhere else, it's more expensive plus shipping. Mm -hmm. So at exitrichbook.com for $24.79 includes shipping. You get the immediate download today. You don't have to wait till the book comes out in January. You get the book today. Plus, you get a lifetime membership to the Exit Rich Book Club mm -hmm. where I do training videos and I go into depth about all these different mm -hmm. techniques and strategies. Plus, most importantly, Deb, I have digital downloads. Mm -hmm. So if you've never seen an LOI, sample lever intent before, I have one, mm -hmm. or purchase agreement, mm -hmm. or due diligence checklist, or closing docs, right. all of the downloads you need mm -hmm. to sell a business are there. Right. Plus, you get a 30-day membership into Club CEOs where we do masterminds and Q&As and a hot seats to ask those transformational questions like, what business are you in? What business should you be in? And then when the book comes out in January, we ship it to your doorstep. Perfect. I love it. So I love exitrichbook.com. And then they can also go to silertucker.com, mm -hmm. silertucker.com. And they can call my office, 504 525 1717. I'm right here in New Orleans. But we do this in I love it. Well, and it's Siler Tucker, and I'm going to spell that. It's S E I L E R T U C K E R.com. Um, there's an extra E in there at the, at the start that we need to make sure people have. Um, so, you know, this, this really has been fabulous. And like I said, we have to have you on again because we really didn't talk about, you know, the pandemic and, and, you know, maybe by the time we get you scheduled again, it will be, will be coming out of that. So will it be good? We'll have, you know, probably a different president. <laughs> and, you know, and, and so what's, you know, all of those changes in, you know, in, in 2021, I think it's just fascinating to, to be talking about all this because it is going to affect so many things. Um, so I, I definitely look, look forward to having you on again. Do you have any final thoughts that you want to leave everyone with? Um, no, I think, you know, the big thing is it's, it's hard to read the label from the inside of a bottle. Mm -hmm. You really need an outsider's perspective to mm -hmm. read the warning signs and keep you out of the danger zone. And, you know, when you're in the fog, it's foggy. So I like, call me, you know, I love help. My, my passion, my mission is to help save the economy by saving one business owner at a time. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm Deb Creer. I've been having a delightful conversation with Michelle Seiler Tucker. We will have you on again. Thank but until you. next time, everyone have a great day. Tune in for our next program for even more trends, best practices, and techniques for how to make your business a success. The Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer, is proud to be part of the C-Suite Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.